0: Dave, I'm one of the pastors here at Sedaris, we're entering into our time of teaching, um, so if you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some black ones in the seat back in front of you, and if you do grab one of those Bibles in front of you, we're looking at page 907. 907 is where we'll be today, and we get to look at uh, a fairly uh, famous woman named Mary, Mary of Nazareth, uh, you may have heard of her. This time of year, actually, I was telling somebody I was preaching on Mary, and they said, oh, you guys should definitely play Mary, Did You Know? <laughs> you know, that? some of you are like, if you don't know that, we're so glad that you're here. <laughs> we're not playing it. It's, this very, it's, ama- it's an amazing Christmas song. Um, some people that grew up in the church know about it. It goes like, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? I'm here to tell you. And we'll find out today. She did not know. (laughs) She knew none of it. She was very much in the dark when it came to what Jesus would do. She just sort of, as we'll see, allowed God to use her for his purposes, even though she didn't know. She didn't really know what was going on. And uh, she had a little bit of information, but not a lot. So Mary, did you know? The answer is no. And now you don't even need to listen to that song. So you know the answer. So what I, what I hope to do today is uh, we're in this uh, series, this vision series called the Five C's. And I'm pretty sure this is the last week <laughs> of the Five C's, unless we decide to extend it. But we're doing these case studies. So we did five lectures to start. And if you're new, I'd definitely recommend going back, going back and listening to those. Um, we're calling them lectures because they were long. And we, and we took a look at these, these big words that you've heard before, connection which leads to conversation, which leads to consideration, which leads to conviction, that leads to confession, and then the cycle continues. uh, Confession then connects you again with the outside world, and you run the cycle again. And we've said if you run the cycle over and over and over again, you'll begin to experience internal and external transformation in the way that God desires for you to be transformed, that you become more and more like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is what you were created to be, a reflection or the image of your creator God. If you don't do that, if you fall short of that, it will inevitably sort of stunt your growth uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Uh, It just will. And so we've been looking at these case studies after those lectures, and those words each have more, there's more to them than you would think. So if you just hear those words and and you're new and you haven't listened to those, definitely go listen to those sermons, because there's more to things like conviction than what you think, or more to confession than what you think. And and so we've teased some of this out in case studies, where we looked at the pages of Scripture, uh, these examples that God has elevated for all of history that we might see how they experienced transformation and try to find the five C's in them. So today we get to look at Mary. So um, there's so much that we think we know about Mary, but I hope you can just, you don't, you don't have to erase it all, but just come to the text today with new eyes, fresh eyes, because I think God has something to show us about who Mary is. She's just like us. She's just a human being trying to follow her God. Nothing magical about Mary, nothing divine about Mary, so we can learn from Mary because we're just like her. Okay? So, so here's what I hope. By the end of today that you'll be um, rocking with Mary and considering what she had to consider. So by the end, I hope you'll, you'll be asking yourself this question at the soul level. This is the question that Mary, spoiler alert, will be asked by God. Will you allow God to use his power for his purposes... Through you, Will you allow God to use his power for his purposes through you? So this process of his, his, yours is activated by faith. So just jump real quick with me and we'll just, spoiler alert, look at chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 45. So big one, little 45 says this. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Will you allow God to use his power for his purposes through you? If you say yes, that is activated, that process, by faith, just like it is here for Mary that she believed that the Lord would fulfill what he had spoken to her. So, so let's talk about Mary. Let's converse. We've connected here. Now we're going to converse about Mary. There is something about Mary, isn't there? So here we go. Let's go back now and start in verse 26. I'm going to just read the whole, this whole uh, account of the first time that we hear of this woman named Mary. Here we go. Luke 1, In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. He was of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, now, I'm going to keep reading. What I want you to try to do as I'm reading this through the first time, okay? I want you to try to identify connection, conversation, consideration, conviction, and confession, Okay, just maybe make a little note or put a little tick mark. When when do you think those transitions happen? When do you think those transitions happen? Here we go. So an angel comes to Mary and said to her, "'Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you.' But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.' For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Notice, no mention of walking on water here. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man, the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38. Mary's quoting here. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In those days, which is to say, almost immediately, Mary set out. And hurried to a, hill, uh, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, that's her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her, that's inside of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you, see, for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And I won't read it right now, but Mary goes on and, and, and sort of sings this hymn, this song um, of God's goodness and gratefulness and faithfulness. And um, it's beautiful. It's called the Magnificat. You may have heard of it. So what's going on here? Did you pick up? That's okay. I'm going I'm to share with you where I think those breaks are. And again, this is a fluid process, so it's not the most important thing to be able to get it exactly right, like when did we actually cross over from conversation into consideration or from consideration to conviction. But I'm going to show you which, where, where I think that happens so that we can begin to identify how this might happen in our own life. So the first one's probably obvious. God connects with Mary by sending, the Bible says, an angel named Gabriel. What is an angel? the, the, The word angel is just the Greek word messenger. And Gabriel is clearly a special kind of messenger. He's personal, but he's not of this world. He's clearly... Not just a human being; he is a spirit sent by God. So we come to understand angels to be that can manifest themselves in this world for a time. And Mary sees and talks to Gabriel, so she's made a connection. What does he say in? What does it say in verse twenty-six? Um, Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. So it's so important to understand, like, how revolutionary this story would be. that sort of the main character here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke are two women: Elizabeth and Mary. Mary is a very common name in that day, and she comes from a very common, unimportant place, a small little rural town outside of Judea called Nazareth. Now, if you were just reading, you're like this is so different than any other story that I've heard, where we typically write stories about royalty, people living in, in a palace in the capital city of a nation. This is about a young teenage woman in a small rural town called Nazareth, the very common name, Mary. Again, see, we've lost that because we've heard the story so many times about how befuddling this is wait why are we talking about some woman in the middle of nowhere named Mary verse 27 says that she was a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David and her name was Mary we'll come back we'll come back to to this question of is it important like, what does this word virgin mean and, and why is it in here so let's look what he, what the angel then says to start. Verse 28, And the angel came to Mary and said to her, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Again, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. So anytime when you're reading your Bible and you see the, a word repeated, favor, favor, it's probably important. What does favored mean? It actually comes from the word grace, meaning God has given you grace. Um, so, God chose Mary. He chose to give her this grace of his presence, of His con- of connection to him. She is highly favored. She is handpicked by God. That- that's what the angel's trying to tell her, like, this isn't an accident, and I need to tell you twice, because you probably think, who, me, Mary from Nazareth? Like, what do you mean God's, cho- you know, given me favor? He says, no, God's chosen you, Mary. He's about to tell her Why? So he drops some new information into the conversation. What does he say? Verse 31. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now remember that little piece of information at the beginning where it said that Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph who comes from the house of, or is part of the lineage of this King David, which if you're a student of scripture in the Old Testament, King David was promised that there'd be a Messiah that came from his line. King David was sort of the best king to date of the people of Israel. Not perfect, but the best yet. And somebody greater than him was going to come to restore Israel and bring them back to their own sovereignty that they might have peace in the land and, and all this goodness. This is what the people were waiting for. And so now, this angel tells Mary, that's going to be your son. And Mary's thinking to herself, very logically. Um, well, how, how, how again <laughs> uh, is that going to happen? Uh, and this is where it gets important. She says, how can this be, since I've had no sexual relations with a man? And the angel is going to tell her, that God is actually going to come upon you and overshadow you with his presence and give life in your womb without ever having sexual relations with a man up to that point in her life. This is pretty wild. And it makes sense that Mary's a little bit confused. (laughs) Like, I never heard of this happening. How could this happen? And so I want to just pause here uh, for a second because... This is pretty wild for us, too. Like, we're like, are we sure we got to keep propagating this idea of the virgin birth? Like, I heard somebody tell me once, like, virgin could just mean young woman, right? But again, when we talked about repetition, virgin, verse 27, virgin again in verse 27. What's going on here? it's true that the Greek word translated virgin here can just mean a young woman of marrying age, which would have been 12 years or older. But I think we have to be pretty arrogant and pretty naive to not think that it's clear from the story that they're trying to say that she's never had sex before, right? Like, that's clearly part of the story. So you either have to think that a couple of things happened. One... Mary lied when she was telling her story to Luke, which is possibly part of the way that Luke wrote this narrative. It says at the beginning of the Gospel that he went around and he interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses to make sure he had the story right. So he probably knew Mary and talked to her and heard her account. That's why we have so much detail here about what was going on with Mary. So Mary could have been lying this whole time. Okay, that says something. Luke could have been lying and made it up and said, This story's not good enough. Without this whole virgin birth thing, so I'm gonna add this in. So you gotta be thinking you're better than, holier than Luke. Or, we should just take it for what it is <laughs> that this is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God sent his son into the world by overshadowing Mary by his Holy Spirit in a, in a way, probably very similar to what you read in Genesis, where God breathed into the dust however that happened, and brought life outside of the normal, natural processes. I think it's pretty important to the story. I think Luke makes it pretty clear that this is crazy, (laughs) that Mary got pregnant without ever having sexual relations. Some people will try to remove that part of the gospel because it's hard to believe. I get that. There's no natural explanation for this. And that's the point. God showed up. He intervened in the world he created, and he can do that, and he's done it before. That happened very often that he would do this, but he did it right here. And even Mary's kind of confused that, how does this happen? It's okay to be confused. <laughs> it's the mystery of God. But it's clear that this is what the Bible is communicating to us. So Mary is confused. And I would be too. And God in his grace is going to tell her this is going to ha- how it's going to happen. And he realizes that still sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> that God's going to overshadow her with his presence. And then she's going to become pregnant. And so God in his infinite grace and in his love for Mary says, And I'm going to give you a little bit more evidence that you can lean on. That your faith can rest against. What is that evidence? He says this, verse 36. And so consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And she is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And this is a woman who's been called childless. So, he, so here's what's going on. Elizabeth is her relative. We're not sure how they're related. But Elizabeth is in her old age. And she's been barren. And she couldn't have any children. And God says... Elizabeth's with child now. Now God's doing multiple things here, but one of the things he's doing and why he tells us to Mary is, like, I get that this is hard to, to believe. Now, Mary can't pick up the cell her phone and call Elizabeth and be like, Hey, I heard some I heard a rumor. Are you pregnant? So she doesn't have immediate access to this information. She has to, again, believe the words that are coming from this messenger of God. So, look what happens next. The um, angel says, a sort of a summary of this whole crazy process that she's going to get pregnant without ever having sexual relations with a man. Verse 37 For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. So, I believe that between the connecting. Of the angel at the very beginning, until this point, this expression of this truism, for nothing will be impossible with God, that all of that has been part of conversation. Because, right? Rightfully so. Mary's got a lot of mental blocks. Conversation is about removing mental barriers to the truth that God is trying to relate to us, okay? So, like, it makes sense. There's a lot of head work going on, like, logical, rational, like, could this be? How could this be? I've never heard of that before. Right? So we're removing barriers so that consideration at the soul and the heart level might take place. That's what's been going on up to this point. And so there's been some evidence given that can't be confirmed immediately by like going to Elizabeth's Facebook page or Instagram profile. Like she's just got to like say, could this be? Um, And now we come to the thing that God wants Mary to consider at the deep soul, the eternal level with her heavenly body. And it's two-pronged. And it all stems from this statement of nothing will be impossible with God. The first is considering the content. The content is, is anything possible for God? Is that true? Anything is possible for God? So it's the content and the second is the call. Will I allow God to perform the impossible through me. God wants Mary to consider those two things. Is anything possible and does she want or and, and, and will I allow God to perform the impossible through me? I think that's really what God wants Mary to consider. Okay? Now, again, like we said last week with the, the woman at the well, we don't know how long this pause was. Paper was expensive back in the day, so he, so we couldn't just put dot 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 for a few pages to show. I mean, this I don't know how long it took Mary to consider this content and this call. But there's a pause, and then verse 38 happens. Mary says this to the angel, "I." I am the Lord's servant," said Mary. "May it be done to me according to your word." Then the angel left her. She experiences conviction. She says, "One, yes. I know how it's crazy. I don't know why I believe this, but I believe that anything is possible for God, including a woman who's never had sex with a man getting pregnant." And two, two. She says, use me, God, however you desire for your purposes in the world. I'm on board. Yes, God, I am your servant. She has conviction in her heart. Now, I was tempted to say this was both Mary's conviction and confession, but I actually don't think this is her confession I think it's okay to classify this. Remember, this is not another human being she's interacting with. This is the messenger of God. And so it's still sort of a private thing between her and God. And we've said in the confession lecture, we talked about how confession is the outward or public declaration of a conviction in the presence of other human beings. Okay? I don't think that's happened yet. It's sort of a strange, but it's a bit of like a prayer that's going on here. So when does the confession happen? Again, these things are fluid, so there's a type of confession here, but I don't think the fullness of confession here. So what happens next? Verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Sorry, in Judah. Where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Okay. So this was probably not immediately like in those days. Meaning, like when you get pregnant, you don't feel great. You probably don't want to walk like several days, <laughs> like along uh, stone and dirt paths. So she probably waited a little bit. We don't know how long, but she eventually makes herself or takes herself on a journey that would have been several days to the hill country of Judah, just somewhere outside of Jerusalem. So she sort of re. She's she's walking the other direction of what we saw Jesus walking last week, which is to, to Nazareth or Galilee from Jerusalem. So she's walking back towards Jerusalem, which would have be been heading south into the, the hill country where her relative Elizabeth lives. Now, she enters the house and she simply greets Elizabeth. This to me is her confession. What's interesting is we don't see Mary say anything else because Elizabeth kind of jumps in. But her confession has already happened. Why has her confession already happened? Her presence is her confession. She showed up. She showed up. Remember we said about confession, it's anything that you do with your physical body in response to this internal heart conviction. So she got up and pregnant, walked all the way to the hill country of Judah, What would that take? That would take some deep conviction, right? It's her confession. Who would do a thing like that? And a relative Elizabeth gets it. (laughs) She sees her and realizes something has happened. This is her first confession. And often, often, our confession comes without words. Like, show me how you live, show me what you do, and I'll tell you the conviction of your heart. So often, confession doesn't involve words. Now, often they will come later. Sometimes we see the confession first coming in the movement of your body, the decisions that you begin to make with how you live your life, what you do. And that's so clear here, isn't it? Mary's belief, her conviction in God's promise through the messenger Gabriel is expressed so clearly by her physical response to this implicit command that you should probably go meet up with Elizabeth, to see what we're doing over there, too. And so she does. A great confession by just just journey that she takes. Now having said that, um, most things aren't only one thing. So her getting up and going accomplishes more than just one thing. Her movement is twofold. One, it is her confession, but two, it's also her search for further confirmation or solidification Of this conviction. You see that? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like needing to go see if this is true, that that Elizabeth is also with child isn't like a lack of faith, it's an expression of faith as she seeks to confirm. That's so important. So Mary is definitely saying, I believe God, help my unbelief. I believe God, help me with this nagging doubt that, that maybe I was just having a hallucination. I believe God, but give me more evidence. This is the prayer of every Christian. Every Christian should be asking for more evidence, confirmation of this conviction that you have. But typically the conviction comes verse, first and then the search for more confirmation comes next. That should be the rhythm of, of all of us. This is our constant cry. And God delights in giving us confirmation, solidifying our faith, deepening our conviction. He loves doing that. He's not trying to keep you in the dark. He wants to give you more and more confirmation of the conviction he's brought through the Holy Spirit. So we should seek it. We should want it. We should search after it. And that's what Mary does, in a very profound way. As a as pregnant woman, she walks across a great distance to confirm that it's true that Elizabeth's with child. Uh, just give me uh, uh, This is an important point, because I want you guys to be confirming the convictions that you have. In my own life, this happened to me. Um, Many of you know, I started my career in accounting, um, and I'd already left my job because I felt God calling me out of that, the conviction that I was no longer meant to do that. I'd already been called into ministry, so I'd already started doing ministry, so I'd already done all of that. I'd already, like, done a semester of seminary. Again, trying to confirm my calling that this is what I was supposed to do, and so I signed up for another semester of seminary um, and transitioned to a new school, and um, God gave me this beautiful blessing, even though, see, I was so convicted, but I had this kind of weird thought, like, I know I'm crazy, it's a bit irrational to do these kinds of things, but I feel God calling me. So I was so convicted, but then God in his grace and, and love gave me confirmation. And I remember, it was my first class at, this, at Denver Seminary, the seminary I had tr- uh, transferred to, and my very first class, on my very first day, was an introduction to Christian philosophy and apologetics. And Dr. Doug Groteis was the professor, and he did throw a book across the room, which I thought was fun. And then he, began, <laughs> then he began to unpack the intellectual beauty of the gospel. Again, I was already in seminary. I'd already left accounting. I'd already taken a $40,000 pay cut to do my first ministry job. So I was like already all in, and then God gave me Great confirmation that, hey Dave, you're wrong when you think you have to check your mind at the door to do this job. Actually, the Christian worldview makes more sense than any worldview, and it took Dr. Grotius, I believe, given to me by God to help confirm my conviction. So I've had that experience. I've probably told some of you that story about how beautiful that was for me that I was already all in, and yet. I still had more belief to find. And God gave it to me, in part through Dr. Grotes, and I audited like every class I could of his. Because I needed that confirmation. That confidence in his truth, and his plans for my future, even though I had already made the move. <laughs> you see that? I hope that happens for you as well. Keep searching for confirmation of this conviction. I believe God will give it to you. If you need help doing that, come talk to us. We'll help, we'll help you grow in confidence. So now, um, this is Mary. She's made it through all five C's, and her presence is her confession. And it's now connected her with her relative Elizabeth. Now, let's look at Elizabeth real quick. Let's look at Elizabeth real quick. Because Elizabeth goes through a whirlwind of the five C's. You might not have seen it, but she goes through it really quickly. Look at this. Uh let me just read it for you again. So in those days Mary set out and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea v- verse 40 where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings the baby leaped inside of her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, "Blessed are you among women and your children will, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord, what a crazy thing to say, should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the l- the baby leaped for joy inside of me." Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has promised to her. Okay, so that's a whirlwind of the five C's. Let me show it to you. One, she connects with Mary. Again, very unexpectedly. Mary didn't like send her a text, say, hey, I'm on my way. I'm coming to visit you. She just showed up. It's like, who knows how long it's been since they've seen each other? Probably years. And Mary's just standing there. Whoa, unexpected connection. Now they're connected. Now, where's the conversation? It says... That Mary greeted Elizabeth. Just a greeting. Hello. (laughs) You know, that's sometimes as much conversation as you need. It's like, hello. And it's like, boom. Something happened. What happened? The baby leaped in her womb. That's John the Baptist, who we'll read about if you keep reading through the book of Luke. John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus' coming. The baby leaped. Now, that actually isn't the consideration. That's just a a natural phenomenon that happened. Because look what happens next. The baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was then filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, something's happened in between that, that Luke doesn't pull out. The baby leaps, which means the baby recognized. That's weird and awesome. So, like the Holy Spirit convicted the baby first, and the baby made a sudden move, and then what did Elizabeth have to do? What in the world just happened? She's considering, why did the baby just leap? Why did the baby? Why did the, the baby just leapt? Mary must be somebody special, and it says then. So then she's considering. She's like, this isn't natural. This isn't normal. Something's happening. She's considered. And she begins to believe. She has conviction. It says the Holy Spirit filled her. And we know that something supernatural, some knowledge came to her without ever being spoken to her because she knows that the baby is her Lord, she says to Mary, right? See, this is like a whirlwind five c So she considers, what in the world could that have been? Could that have been God doing that? And then the Holy Spirit fills her. She's like, yes, that is God because God is literally in Mary's stomach, Like, this is crazy. She goes through. She has conviction. And what does she do? She confesses. Blessed are you, Mary, among all women. You're favored more than any other woman. God has chosen you. He's picked you to bring the Messiah into the world. And Mary's like, I didn't tell you any of that. (laughs) Like, you just got that. A whirlwind 5C. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You see, Elizabeth sees Mary's presence as Mary's confession that God is doing something, and rightly identifies through the Holy Spirit the incredible faith of Mary to pronounce this blessing upon her for trusting in the Lord at his word, namely that nothing will be impossible with God. So, so Elizabeth recognizes that Mary would have had to trust the word of God, that nothing is impossible with God, right? So Mary's consideration, conviction, and confession now becomes Elizabeth's conviction and confession that nothing is impossible with God. And now you see how the five C's lead to the five C's. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't actually end there, because what comes next? Now Elizabeth's great, energetic, passionate proclamation and confession now stirs up Mary to what? More confession. Mary's confession had to this point been her presence. Now Mary speaks up. Probably because Elizabeth riled her up with her five C's. And now Mary goes into this amazing praise. Mary says, my soul praises the greatness of my Lord. This is verse uh, 46. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. Not just just my, my relative Elizabeth, but all generations will call me blessed. And she was right. Because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, and then she returned home. <laughs> you see that? You see that? This is so beautiful. I, I don't want you guys to miss this. Our engagement in the five C's stirs up one another, stirs up our hearts and our minds, our souls, and our strength unto the knowledge of God and his glorification of his wonderful name, which is his character. This is the ends for which we were created. We were created, like Mary and Elizabeth, to be transformed from one degree of glory into another to clearly reflect the image of our maker. And look at the result. It's for their good and their joy... And it's for God's glory and the fulfillment of his plan for salvation and redemption of all things. This is what's happening. This is why we need to work through all of the five C's. I mean, if Elizabeth had just sort of fallen short and experienced the womb and and never expressed what had happened, would that have stirred Mary up to this great Magnificat, this great hymn of wonder at, at God's character and what he's doing in the world? Probably a lot of these things she'd been thinking along her long journey about, wow, This is true. If it turns out Elizabeth is actually with child, what is God doing here? It's amazing that he's looked on both of us. Who are we? We're nobodies. We stir stir each other up. You see that? Is that beautiful? I hope it is. I hope you can see that. Okay. Take a deep breath. Got a Debbie Downer alert coming your way. Soak in that joy. Soak in the great example of Elizabeth and Mary because we got to look. i got to do it. I'd be amiss if, if I didn't just give you a brief warning here in the form of an example to show you what will happen if you fail to engage all five C's. We've got another example right here in chapter one. And I just sort of ignored him for now, but i got to talk about him. His name is Zechariah. His name Zechariah. we got to see what might be lost if we fail to engage in all five C's. Come on in, Zechariah. Come on in. We love you, Zechariah. Stand here. The church forgives you, Zechariah. <laughs> Let's see. This is Elizabeth's husband, the father of John the baptizer, John the baptist. The forerunner of Jesus. Let's read his story, starting back in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says this In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, so his wife was also of priestly descent, which means Mary was probably also of priestly descent. And her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth, Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. Now, just a quick note here, because we talked about Hannah a few weeks ago, and she also was childless. And as this is the case with Hannah, so is the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke points this out. The reason that they were childless was not because of any sin in their life. There, there, there were amazing, obedient followers of God. So their childlessness had nothing to do with anything they did. That, that, is, that is often the case. And so Luke points that out. The reason they're childless is not because of anything that they've done or haven't done. They were without blame in God's sight. Now, of course, they're sinners. We're all sinners, falling short of the glory of God. But they were, for all intents and purposes, people living in God's sight without blame. They weren't hiding anything. So their lack of... Conception was for some other reason, perhaps to show the power and wonder of God. When his division, that's Zechariah's division, was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the customs of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so he was a priest. It was, he probably also had a day job. There were about 18,000 priests at that time. And so he probably had a day job, and then he also had these certain duties that he would perform in Jerusalem at the temple. And so his name was selected by lottery, and once in your life, you were selected to perform this particular duty, which was to bring an offering of incense into the, into the temple, place it on the altar, which would have been like a hot, uh, heated up metal plate, and the incense would burn as a fragrance, fragrance to God. And Zechariah would put it on there, and he would kneel down, and he would pray for the people. So the the offering of incense was, it was like visually seeing, as the smoke went up, it's like our prayers going up to God. Once in his life, he would have been called to get to do that. It was his turn, it says. And so, according to the custom of the priesthood, he entered the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. So the, the faithful of Jerusalem would gather outside the temple, and they'd also be praying at the time, which happened twice a day, at the burning of incense. And while Zechariah is in, in by himself in the temple, only one at a time would go in, verse 11 says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready the Lord to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Whoa. Oh, so the angel, who is also Gabriel, the same angel that talks to Mary, had already said this to Zechariah. We're gonna find out in just a second that nobody knew that he'd already predicted these things, even about John being filled with the Spirit, and therefore we see why he leapt in the womb of Mary or of Elizabeth. He couldn't we're gonna see in a second why nobody knew that. Zechariah knew that. He watched all this happening, but nobody else knew. Why didn't they know? Let's keep reading. Zechariah hears this great pronouncement, and what does he say? How can I know this? Zechariah asked. For I am an old man, (laughs) my wife is well along in years. That's like the nice way of giving your wife's age. (laughs) And This is my wife. She's well along in years. Okay, never say your actual wife's age. Okay, so uh, he gets that right. But he gets something else wrong. So the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. How can you know this? I'm I'm literally standing here telling you I was sent by God. And then he goes on, he says, now listen, verse 20, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he—sorry, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. He's like trying—you know—charades. He's trying to tell them what happened. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. So he stayed a few more days. Completing his duties, and then he went back to the hill country of Judah to be with his wife. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So, what's going on here? Zechariah gets his one chance to come in and and give the uh, offering of incense an angel appears to him and tells him this amazing thing's going to happen, this thing they've been praying for for a very long time, but it never happened, it's going to happen, and he, like Mary, is confused. How could this be? My wife is very old, I am very old. This is unnatural. How could it be? Right? That's what he's saying. And as, as I'm reading this, the question that comes to my mind is, because he clearly doesn't get it, he doesn't believe, and God strikes him probably, the, the, the term here actually could mean both mute, And deaf, meaning he probably couldn't hear or talk. But like, what did he do so different than Mary, right? Are you thinking that? You're like, didn't Mary kind of also ask, like, how could this be? Zechariah says, how can I know this? Mary says, how could this be? Same angel, same supernatural intervention of God. It's confusing, right? Like, why is there this different response of the angel? And why is Mary lifted up? And Zechariah's kind of like, oh, man. There's three three things that I could think of that might be helpful here. The first is this. Zechariah, it's different. Zechariah had plenty of Old Testament examples of, of of God doing something like this. And he's a holy man. He's a priest. He would have known his Old Testament inside and out. He probably could have recited the passages of where God did this for Abraham and Sarah, God did this for Jacob and and Rebekah, right? And yet, and yet, when I tell you, Zechariah, that that I'm going to do that for you, you're befuddled. How could God possibly do this? What's the difference? God's telling Mary that that he's going to do something that he's never done before this is a one time only thing (laughs) that somebody who's never had sex is going to get pregnant that only happened ever once in the history of the world so it's not exactly the same it's not unprecedented and so his lack of belief in the messenger of God is different you see that? Now, how might that apply to our life? This is how I think it applies. I do think this applies. This is I want to talk about Zechariah. Listen, some of you have been given incredible resources, education, and experiences of God. Like Zechariah. He would have had training that Mary never could have had as a woman. He would have had knowledge of the Old Testament that Mary ne- never could have had as a teenager. He's an old man. He's seen God, walked with God, believed in God for a very long time. Some of us have had that. Some of us were born into Christian families with godly discipling parents who taught us the word. Some of us, like myself, have gotten to go to seminary and study for for three and a half years straight, just study the word of God. Guess what? I am going to be held to a higher account for believing in the word of God than some of you who didn't have that upbringing, who didn't have that education, who haven't been poured into... That haven't had incredible mentors like I've had. Some of you have had incredible mentors, just rocks and warriors in the faith who have pressed into you and built into you. Guess why? God's want to call. He's going to call you to some higher level of faith to trust something crazy. He wants you to do. I think that's what's happening with Zechariah. He's like, dude, Zechariah, you know this that God can do this. What do you mean? How could I know this? You see what I'm saying? To, I can't remember who said it. Spider-Man, maybe? Like, to whom much is given, much is expected, okay? Like, it, it matters what's been poured into you. So if God's poured a lot into you, you should be asking yourself, for what? Zechariah wasn't asking that. So his lack of faith is something worthy of being struck mute for nine months. He should have known. God, he knows the God that could do this. And the messenger's right in front of him. He has an actual vision. I mean, how many of us have had that? The second thing. Um, Zechariah says, how can I know? Mary says, how can this be? Oh, man, are those the same things? I thought about this a lot. I don't think they're exactly the same things. Uh, just like I said, it's understandable to want to know more about the pragmatics in Mary's case, right? But she's not questioning, questioning the message of the messenger. She's just wondering, how does this logically happen? Whereas the pragmatics seem clear for Zechariah. Like he knows what to do next. Go have sex with your wife. <laughs> that's how it's gonna work. See how see how that's different? Like he knows what to do next. Instead, Zechariah is questioning Did God really say that? You ever heard that word? Did God really say that? I don't know. You see the difference? How do I apply that to my life? It's one thing to ask God, how do you want me to do this? Like when we felt God calling us to plant a church. Okay, God, how do you want us to do that? I'm not exactly sure how to do that. I've never done that before. Help me out. It's another thing to question, God, did you really say that? Especially when he sends an angel. And so you you might be thinking this in your life. God, I trust your word that you said X, Y, Z, that you said to live like this. That you said, don't store up your treasure um, on earth where rust and mold can destroy but store it in heaven. I trust that, God. I trust XYZ. I trust that you've said that. Your word has said that. I know that it's true. I'm not questioning that. And then you say to God, but help me know how to do it. Like, what does that mean, treasure? How do I store it up in heaven? Like, what's enough and, and too much? And, you know, like the pragmatics of it. It's okay to ask God that. But you said, God, I trust you. I don't want to store up my, my treasure here. I want to store it in heaven. Help me know what that means. Help me, God. You see the difference? I think there's a difference. Zechariah's questioning, did you really say store up your treasure in heaven? I'm not sure that's, eh, that probably got slid in by somebody trying to make money for the church. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're questioning, did God really say that? It's different. Third thing, and I think this is the biggest thing that I see. posture, posture. Posture. Do you notice the difference in the posture between Zechariah and Mary? Look again at verse 129. 129 says this. This is after the greeting of Gabriel and him telling her that she's favored. And it says, She was deeply troubled by this statement and she was wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her some more. You see this? What was her posture? She was like, What's going on here? She's wondering. If you read through, I won't read it again, but none of that happens with Zechariah. We have no insert of his posture. He just goes straight to, how could this be? There's nothing about him wondering or being troubled in his soul about what's going on here. I think this is um, insight into the openness of Mary's heart. She's open. She's also, like Zechariah, a bit worried, scared. Because angels are scary. It's a little bit weird. This is kind of paradoxical. But she's got this posture, this precondition for consideration that we talked about. She stepped out of the middle. She says, this is strange, but I'm open, God. Show me how this could happen. Zechariah is just like, knock it down. How could it be? There's no wondering with him. Do you see that? I think that's an insight Luke's trying to say. She was wondering. She was opening herself up. And this is how we've said this with the precondition to the third C consideration is so important. Are you open? Are you open to letting God reveal himself to you? Are you open to it? Your posture is everything to accomplishing the five Cs. Your posture is everything. And Mary had a posture of openness. What, 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 what are you doing here, God? I'm a little bit scared. How could this be? How is this gonna happen? But I'm open, I'm wondering. Zechariah's blocking it off. It's too scary for him. He doesn't wanna be open. He doesn't wanna wonder. And so what God does is he says, for nine months, for the entire pregnancy, you're not gonna be able to speak. You don't get to go and experience the fullness of confession and getting to be the first to tell your wife. I'm going to go tell her. She's going to have to figure this out on her own. You can help her with the pantomiming and whatnot, but (laughs) that's all you get. He doesn't quite open himself up to the full process. Oh, Zechariah, it's okay, buddy. Now, one final note in Zechariah. Look at uh, 157. 157. Uh, An amazing thing happens here. Look at 157. Now the time had come, so this is after Mary's visited and now she's left. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, which is totally against custom, right? The father always got to name. No, he will be called John. He will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. So they mentioned uh, this to his father to find out what he wanted to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote this. This is great confession. He wrote down, his name is John. My wife got it right. His name is John. So for the whole nine months, God just extended his consideration period. You really got to think about this, brother. (laughs) And he gets to the point where God hasn't given up on him. God doesn't give up on you if you, if you, if you, if you fall short. He doesn't give up on you. He gives you another chance to finish the cycle. Zechariah gets a chance, and they come to him and say, what do we call him? And he gets a tablet, and he says, his name is John. Because why? Because God told me that. It's beautiful. Look what happens next. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all the things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Isn't that beautiful? Zechariah goes on, like Mary to, say this great, to write this great hymn and, and present it to the people. So he gets a long nine-month consideration process. Remember how fast Elizabeth did it? I'm not making any comparisons here, I'm just saying. Women usually get it faster. It took him nine months, and then he gets to do this amazing, and people were terrified by this confession. And it brought them into the cycle of the five Cs. And people were talking about what God had done, even through this disbelief, that ultimately led to belief right so god never wastes anything so even though john or even though zechariah stumbled and disbelieved god god didn't give up on him he gets to complete and 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 even in his completing he gets to have a great witness to all of his neighbors and the people around him i just love that it's so important god never gives up on us even if we tend to fall short of completing the cycle so here's my final thought And it's our final consideration for each of us to take into the worship over the next three songs, um, to take home with us and to ponder and to wonder about and to think about and to pray about. And it mimics Mary's two-pronged consideration, okay? The first is the content. Do you believe that all things are possible if God wills it to be? Do you believe that? Second, will you allow God to use his power for his purposes through you? And there's a disclaimer. Will you allow God to use his power for his purposes through you? Here's the disclaimer. Even when you don't understand or can't fathom how in the world this could work will you let god use you let's pray